There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hello and welcome to episode 58 of The School for Dumb Women, the podcast that could help you win some pretty average money on some pretty naff quiz shows, such as the popularist, gag-laden, not very well-researched nature of the show. Each week we aim to answer the questions you're too embarrassed to ask because you really should probably know by now. I'm your host woman, Richard Osman, body double, Hannah Varrell. With me is mastermind reject Alexandra Haddo. Apparently Michael B. Jordan's body is not a specialist subject, Hannah. And once got kicked off Who Wants to Be a Millionaire for farting loudly in the audience, Caroline O'Donoghue. That coughing major ruined for us all, Hannah. But Chris Tarrant is really hot, right? This week we're breaking the glass ceiling on female serial killers, finding out why bread makes us farty, and talking to novelist Aisha Malik about writing a rom-com about Muslim dating. Let's get on with the show. Alex, you seem a little too nice to be a serial killer. Am I wrong or...? Yeah, I did try it, but it wasn't for me. Oh, Like many well, of my careers. The important thing is that you tried. Yes, you know? uh, yeah, I freelanced in it for a while, but uh, <laughs> nobody died. It was a faff, if I'm honest. I'm back to digital marketing, so... Um, Good, wise... My Yes, my section this week, though, is on a very notorious female murderer. Um, and I picked her because uh, I'm, I'm about to read the book about her called See What I Have Done. My section this week is on Lizzie Borden. Does anyone know who she is? I haven't heard of her. Caroline, I, I know. I vaguely know the rhyme. Like, Lizzie Borden took an axe. Yes. This is What's what, the next bit? Uh, Lizzie Borden took an axe and gave her mother 40 wax. When she saw what she had done, she gave her father 41. <laughs> it's, mm, it's very Halloween-y. It's very... Yeah. Like, she's like the Lady Jack the Ripper, right? The Sheryl Sandberg of ripping. Yeah. Well, I liked it when I was... um investigating this case today investigating, investigating. <laughs> you're gonna solve this one are you oh, I'm god. gonna solve it um, she we was... should become that crime podcast yeah. everyone oh god we talked about this before didn't we as well yeah. we talked about true crime podcasts and how kind of like they're just yeah. oh, morally very very messy they um, are of anyway. course but don't worry because this happened fucking ages ago um, in the late 1800s so that rhyme was uh, kind of made up by school children and like the surrounding town uh, because Lizzie Borden supposedly uh, is the perpetrator of a double murder of her own father and her stepmother. Uh, that's the story. Yeah. Uh, and it was kind of captivated the imagination. Is it um, America? That's yes, in America. It happened in this uh, small town in Massachusetts called Fall River. Um, mm, very bleak. Yeah. And it's kind of, you know, I think everyone was fascinated by the fact that a woman could murder two people. And the reason that she didn't get convicted is the fact that she looked too innocent. It's the kind of general consensus. The jury decided after 90 minutes that she wasn't guilty, even though there was an overwhelming sense of evidence that 
She did it. <laughs> and when was this again? This was like 1800s. This is, yeah, this is late 1800s. So she was 32 when she did it. So it's 1892. 32. So it wasn't even that she was like a 15-year-old girl who was all sweetness and light. This was like a hardy spinster. No. And pe- she's become a sort of a cult figure or like a kind of like the female Jack the Ripper. Like, mm. how could she do such a thing? Why did she do it? Um, but she was acquitted. So that's why I say that she's kind of like the O.J. Simpson of her time mm. because like everybody sort of knows slash assumes that she did it, but she got away with it. So what was her story? Give me the so origin story. Of her Lizzie story Borden. was that, uh, very quickly, that um, her and her sister lived with her mum and dad and then her mum passed away and her dad remarried and by this time he was fucking loaded um, and uh, the circumstances around the death were that he... Um, her uncle came to stay a couple of uh, days before, who was her actual mother's brother. And there was a lot of money involved. There was a lot of tension in the family about who was going to get some money. He'd uh, bought his new stepkids' houses, but he hadn't bought his two actual daughters' houses. Ooh. And then he bu- they bought a house off him for a dollar, but then sold it back to him two weeks later for $5,000. Very sense and sensibility, all this. Yeah, it was very stra- strange. I think there was a lot of resentment building up, essentially, um, by the fact that he had married this new woman. It's classic fairy tale, isn't it? Just like, yeah. Yeah. a man marries a new woman, yeah, becomes yeah, yeah. a prick to his own daughter. Yeah, and I think they like, kind of lived on this house on the hill in the town, Fall River, and it was all kind of... It me of very, like, Salem witch trials-y vibes mm. when I was um, researching it. And in the sort of 48 hours before the killings, everybody in the house had been really, really ill with, like, essentially they think it was food poisoning from a mutton stew. And some people think that it sent her mad. No. Yeah, I know. It's really crazy. There's all these really crazy theories. It's so interesting. Um, but essentially, yeah. So uh, one morning her uncle that was staying with them went out and then she went upstairs or somebody went upstairs with a hatchet and hacked her stepmother to death Fuck me. That's in horrible. one of the first floor rooms and then an hour and a half later she hacked or someone hacked her father to death in the downstairs room while he was asleep his eyeball was split in half which oh my god which apparently is one of the signs that he was asleep when they did it it really reminded me when you're watching it so basically she was the only one in the house at the time Mm -hmm. so she was prime suspect right but it was very much um very amanda noxy like everybody was kind of like oh she's a lesbian and she was having an affair with her sister and her dad and her stepmom found out and that's why she did it was almost like you know oh this woman couldn't possibly she must be perverted to have had a, a notion of violence in her head or it was it was and the reason that it reminded me of Amanda Knox was that she was really really cold after and really calculating mm. but she kept saying different stories she kept saying like oh no I was um I was in this room or I was in that room or like I put my the reason that she like actually became arrested and charged like before the trial was because she said that she'd put her dad's slippers on for him when he went to sleep but he was found with his boots on so he hadn't even been in the house oh that's weird isn't it that's a big plot hole Liz he was asleep with his boots on yeah, he was, well, asleep and then dead. Having a bit on. of a nap in front of the fire, I'd say. Yeah. That's what I'm visualising here. Yeah, yeah. And she did it with a hatchet. And basically then she burnt the dress that she was wearing and then uh, the handle of the hatchet that was used was like somebody saw her throwing something away that looked like that. And and she was acquitted! She was acquitted, yeah. Um, How on earth? Because they were just like, no, she's a woman. It Pretty much, yeah. Sexism within serial killing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, if you if you look her up on Wikipedia as well, I can see on your screen, Alex. Like she yeah. doesn't, she does look a bit evil. She does look a bit evil, yeah. Um, but I also think that um, maybe the reason that she killed her dad was because her middle name was Andrew. <laughs> no. 
I was reading that today. And I've literally written in my notes like loads of links, and then just the fr- and then just the word Andrew middle name. Was her dad called Motive? Andrew? Yeah, he, yeah, he was. But yeah. like, you shouldn't. I mean, you know, at least don't give her the middle name Andrew. Nobody wants the middle name Andrew. Mm. Um, so I actually spoke to a Lizzie Borden expert. Ooh, um, wow. I say that she's an extremely talented theatre writer, actress, and director who wrote a play called Bury the Hatchet. Nice. Oh, about and I'm not sure if that's Lizzie where Borden. the phrase comes from, but it's about Lizzie Borden. Um, and her name is Sasha Wilson. Uh, and I asked her a few questions because I said, essentially, why do you think people are fascinated by the case? Um, and she says, because technically it's unsolved. But it's kind of weird in that a lot of people are just like, well, no, she did it. But when surely they must have, even at the time, they must have been like, well, who did? Then if she, they were acquitting her, well, that, someone had to murder him. Well, that's why it was a little, a little bit weird because when they acquitted her, it was kind of like, okay. Well, who's next? Like, no yeah. one. Yeah. And then I said, uh, I said, what do you think is, like, the most intriguing parts of the case? And she says, uh, the way the society of Fall River, like the town that it was in, reacted at the time. Everyone was, like, really shocked. She says, I'm kind of quoting her here, shocked and scrambling for someone to blame. When the fam- blame finally zeroed in on Lizzie, people sprang to her defence, visited her in jail while she was awaiting trial and cheered for her when she was acquitted. But nevertheless, they all closed ranks when she tried to return and ostracised her from society because just being found not guilty of double homicide didn't exactly mean she was innocent either. That's weird. Wow. So they were like... And that's so Amanda Knox, though. People are still suspicious of yeah, her. Yeah. And like She's acquitted and she was strange afterwards and she had no real emotion. It really, there was a lot of parallels with it. And because it was so violent as well, I think mm. people were like, oh, a woman couldn't have done that. You know, a woman wouldn't have done that. And then I asked her, do you think she did it? Because uh, Sasha's done loads and loads of research into the case for the play and um, she's kind of an expert. And she says, I personally think that the uncle was involved. Oh. oh. He did the stepmom in and then went off to establish an alibi. Because in the real case, the, the uncle that was staying with them apparently had an airtight alibi. Oh. Um, so he wasn't ever considered... And, and also, it's before the kind of like being able to date time of death and that kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah, no, they did. They did um, date oh. the time of death. And this is another thing. It was the time. It was just at the start of being able to do fingerprints, but they never took fingerprints from the weapon. What? Yeah, very strange. But yeah, essentially, she thinks that the the uncle killed the mum, and then Lizzie killed the dad because the dad found out that the uncle killed the mum. So, what was the kind of fallout for the rest of the family? Like. Um... What? The fallout for the rest of the family is that Lizzie and her sister lived very rich, long lives. No! <laughs> yeah. What? Yeah. Lizzie Borden lived till 67. She died in 1927, I think. I mean, that's hella old for that time. Yeah, and she had, she lived, uh, so this was this was where like the lesbian rumour came from, I think. She never married. She um, had well, a lot Who of... would marry her at this point? Yeah. She exa- was ostracised by the town. Yeah, massively. But I think the fact that she was 32 and unmarried. Did she stay in the town, in the house? Um, no, she moved uh, a little bit further away, but I think far away for the time, but like not that yeah. far for today. Um, but her, by that time, she had a shitload of money because the because the mum, the stepmum died first... Her estate went to the dad. Oh, that's and then the dad's no. estate, her and the dad's estate went to her and her sister. My God! So they both died like old ladies. The sister moved like really far away because of the stigma of being. I really want to read that book now. Yeah, I know. So it's kind of like I think she was like a female psychopath, perhaps if she did it, or or just a psychopath, or just a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, sorry, <laughs> she's just a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, and but when I was reading about it, it also said she lived alone, well, as in she didn't have a family, um, in a you know a huge house, and she had a lot of money until the day she died at sixty-seven, and um, she lived with five. 
like staff members and I was like fucking hell how oh. she must gumption to be a staff member been, there <laughs> she must have been paying them a hell of a lot of money um, because even if you didn't think she did it you'd still be a bit like no mm. you, yeah you'd still be a bit on edge wouldn't you yeah exactly but I think it is it is a really infamous case and I think it is the first uh, to do my sort of Caroline sort of expanding it out into this into society <laughs> oh well, thank you I'm glad that's the term for that now no I like that it's really oh. good um I think it's the first case of like a really violent female murder that was able to be publicised and then sort of gathered moss, if you know what I mean. Like people were sort of shocked that it happened and in such a small town as well and stuff like that. Um, It's interesting that Jack the Ripper like did so many murders for so long and Lizzie Borden kind of only did, well, might have done mm, two and it's still kind of like... (gasps) And it's like, I'm sure there's plenty of men who've murdered their family members um, yeah, they continue the to time, today. Yeah, yeah that that didn't didn't gain this kind of notoriety that she did. I yeah. wonder if that's like. And I think it's the rhyme as well because I've always known the rhyme and I've always known the name and that I don't know if that's where bury the hatchet comes from. But did she like, bury the hatchet literally? Yeah. Oh. Um, bur- buried the handle of the hatchet. Oh. Where was the rest of it? Um, there was no blood. I think they found the blade, but there was no blood on the blade. Um, so she cleaned it. Yeah, I think so. Wow. Or someone did, Caroline. We're not mm. we're not totally sure, but God, it's so pulpy, isn't it? Mm. I think what's really interesting about it is that it's like um women living outside of men's society kind of yeah. thing. There's something yeah. really intriguing about like you know, cuz obviously I don't think that Lizzie Lizzie would have otherwise she was a spinster, right? Like so she would have had to live in her stepmother's house her whole yeah. life, wait for her father to die and probably inherit a pittance split between her, her sister and yeah. her other stepsisters or something. Yeah, maybe, yeah. Um, and so, like, there's something kind of dramatic and terrible and brilliant about this woman just... Just being like, Literally <laughs> taking a hatchet to all these systems and yeah. uh, then living alone with her sister. It's very much like Thelma yeah. and Louise in a way, isn't it? Yeah, it is a little bit. Anyway, there's loads of other really interesting stuff around it, like there always is in these cases, but... Um, and I should also say, like, an actual formal thank you to Sasha Wilson, who is the artistic director of Out of the Forest Theatre, who gave me all that advice. And I really want to go and see her play, Bury the Hatchet. Brill. So much things to see and read now after that. I know, yeah. Lovely. Now, ladies, it's time to passive-aggressively click our clicky pens while someone else tries to start their keynote presentation for The Women Who Code Mixer. At The Women Who Code Mixer, we go deep into Silicon Valley not Alex's Silicon Valley, um, <laughs> to see what's new and confusing about the world of technology. And this week, Caroline, it's pet tech. Yes, it is, Hannah. As the only dumb woman to spend the equivalent amount of a second-hand Vauxhall Corsa on vet bills this week... Oh, again? This week alone, my friend! No! Thank God I have insurance and like I'm going to get the money back eventually, but my God, I have dropped some cash on my dog's eyesight this week. Oh, What's God. wrong with her now? She's in a cone. It's a whole thing. They had to make a serum out of her own blood. It was very strange. So I feel like I'm the most person most capable to talk in a fair and non-judgmental way about the fucked up technology we are now giving our pets. Oh, please. Um, Tamagotchis, you mean? Yeah. <laughs> it's the only pet you're currently legally allowed to have. That is true. <laughs> 
Because, you know, it's not enough anymore. You know, back in the 90s, you could just like get your dog and then just feed it on milk and bread. Yeah. Or bread soaked in milk in a saucer on the floor. And that'd be grand. You'd have your dog. Fine. Man's best friend. Now it's like this whole world of crazy bullshit that we have to buy for our pets now. So if we're talking, you know, strictly about the Silicon Valley startup culture. Mm -hmm. um, So far, funding totals in pet-related startups have already reached 519 million this year. Fucking hell. Which what? Is just this, like, we're in September. Like, this, yeah. I mean, this blog I was reading came out in June of this year. So, fuck me, man. And that is a 78% gross on last year. Wow. So people like are millennials are super not having kids. It's interesting. And we're super having dogs. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is it the case that people are having more pets or that people are just getting tech for their existing pets? Or I pets think what it is. Anyway? I think a lot of millennials are choosing for whatever personal reasons to not have kids or to have them later. And I think they're buffering that little emotional zone with um, solo pets. I mean, mm. I, I mean, I'm basically doing it. Um, but they're sort of putting so much care, time and attention ah. into that to make everything as good as possible for their animal I would like to have a cat I think you'd suit a cat you know yeah I, I used so. to have a cat he was a good guy but so for this uh, section I'm going to read you out a list of the most recent pet startups mm. and you tell me which ones really exist or which ones I made up oh I like this oh I love these games okay um, first one is Pit Plate Pet Plate is a direct consumer subscription service that delivers fresh cooked human grade dog food so, so humans could eat it, but you're basically buying the, it for the, your pet. the zone diet for your dog. You get like delivery service. Oh, I bet that's real. Real. Oh, it's totally real. Next one, pooch selfie, a selfie stick specifically for pets. Made up. Mm, I want it to be real. It's probably made up. It is totally real. Oh wow! I actually I thought that was, was stupid, but then I related to it because like if you've got a pet and you want to take pictures of it, which you do, obviously, yeah. why did you get it? It's really hard to get to look at the camera. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like I'm like selfie. Sylvie, come on. That, that the whole time. So yeah. what this is, it's like a little, um, it's a tennis ball attachment for your phone. <laughs> so the dog looks up. <laughs> so yeah, it totally exists. So you just put like a tennis ball on top of your phone, basically. Yeah. Sure. You could just glue a tennis ball to your phone. Or just <laughs> hold the tennis ball above your head yeah, while you take surely. a picture with the other. Oh, I see. Yeah, yeah you could do that too. But um, I suppose if you're taking a selfie with it. You don't have enough hands. You want nice alert eyes. You want good retinas. Especially if you've got a black dog or a black cat. You need to see the whites of their eyes so you can tell it all apart. Yeah. Um, Even though you'd never get a cat to look. Well, actually, yeah, if you were holding something, yeah. Yeah, maybe. Yeah. Um, The next one is Pit Pat. This is a Fitbit for dogs to track its movements. Oh, real. I, I feel like that could be real, yeah. It's super real. Because people no longer trust their dog sitters to take them for walks. So they like check <gasps> their dog's step count from work. Um, all right. The next one is the Bubbletastic Bacon Bubble Blower. <laughs> it is a bubble <laughs> machine that bubble that has bacon smelling bubbles. Yeah. Yeah. That has got to be real. It's totally real. Oh, yeah. my uh, all God. All of these totally. real. Is that the catch? The catch is, guys. That every time I thought of something that I thought sounded crazy and Googled it, it turned out to exist. (laughs) That's mad. All of these are real. Yeah, I couldn't think of anything mental enough (laughs) that I could feasibly put in this game and also wouldn't exist. Wow. Bloody hell. Bacon-flavoured bubbles. Yeah. Yeah, dogs like chasing bubbles. They also like bacon. But Fuse uh, those two. I'm sure dogs would chase bubbles that 
that were just normal bubbles. I know, but then they get a delicious treat when when they burst it. So you're training them to eat bits of soap bubbles, and then when they go to South Bank, they'll. I literally love, by the way, that all this pet tech is just dog tech. Oh, there, I got, I've got some cat tech coming up. Oh, really? Oh, yeah. What could you possibly want for cat tech? Well, there's the litter robot, which is a self-cleaning cat shit tray. Oh, I would buy that if I had a cat. It's $450. I would not buy that. <laughs> <laughs> the next one is the, uh, the purr detector collar. It's a collar for people who want to know if their cat is purring without touching or listening to it. Oh, what? for God's sake, the whole point of a pet is to stroke right? it. It's to pet it. Pet the pet. So if your cat's just sitting on the windowsill in the sun. It just, it just glows red when it's it purring. Just it will just tell you cat. your cat's happy. Yeah. Wow. Oh. Why? Guys, I saw some kind of some level of crazy shit that I haven't even included here. Like there was this other a work desk with holes for the cat to climb in. Oh my god! Imagine how distracting that would be. No, it's like I don't need any more distractions. If I had a cat doing that all day, I would be climbing in and out the holes, and it would be like, "Yeah, <laughs> look at you! We've got our day money today." <laughs> so yeah, that was my very edited list of weird tech pet startups that are uh, apparently taking over Silicon Valley right now. Oh my god! Hope it's been very educational. Now, as you all know, um, this is a very farty podcast. We're each three very farty people, and Caroline, I couldn't help but notice you have not filled your quota this episode. It's very, very embarrassing. Uh, I'm also kind of glad you noticed. Oh my because god! Because I get to do every white woman's favorite thing, which is talk about her new dietary requirement. Oh, oh my god! No. Check me. I'm I am putting up. the timer on right now. I want the world to know the I've stopped eating gluten. Ow! <laughs> You're not eating gluten. Why are you one of those? I know. I know. I'm sorry, but look, I just want to. Obviously, when anyone has to change their diet in any small way, all you can do is think about it forever. Yeah. So all you can do is talk about it, and you look at people in the street eating fucking sandwiches and you're like I can't do that so I've been starting all my conversation with this so what I wanted to do if it's okay with you lads is just um, purge all my talking about it in this segment (laughs) and they'll never talk about it again it will never come up on the podcast nine minutes and thirty seconds okay fine so for the last year I've always had sort of like stomach problems I've always been a big farter I've always had bad skin I've always uh, had a slight pain after eating most food okay but you know <laughs> how like <laughs> but you know how like um, you know you don't really know how other people see colours yeah you know, I don't know what your red looks like oh yeah you yeah you just yeah. have to take it on good faith you just thought it was yeah I just life. thought it was kind of normal that most people were in some pain after food Oh. And I was just like, yeah, it's, we are, it's, you know. <laughs> you're just eating like three times the portion size. You, you love eating it and then you're in agony. <laughs> oh, no. And then it just, you know, um, I was kind of always very livable. Uh, I didn't really think about it ever. And I always thought I was just one of those very farty people uh, who is slightly bloated a lot of the time. Fine. And then it got really, really, really bad. And to the point where I went round to my mate's house for some lasagna and garlic bread. And that night I was literally writhing in bed oh, in agony. Because uh, it was so bad. And then like, and it was like, okay, this is obviously telling me something. Mm-hmm. And the more I looked into it, the more I realized, you know, that that meme with the lady with all the triangles doing the algorithm and she's putting it oh, all yeah. together. <laughs> that was she looks bad. Like she does look like me. Yeah, she does. Claire Danes. She's fit. Was it Claire Danes? It? No. It's Claire Danes. I thought it was British Arquette. I don't know blonde actresses Um, and uh, it was like it all kind of came together and started making sense it was like the amount I was getting thrush which is linked to apparently (gasps) gluten wow yeast yeast, my friends 
Ew. Yeah, um, my women are just walking sandwiches, right? And my energy was so so low. I was like napping all the time. I was really like quite blue, if I'm really honest with you. I was. It was the last few months. I've been quite sad. And uh, just all these things were wrong. I was like, getting breakouts. Like I had like new spots every day, spots in my shoulders all the time. And I was just getting, it was like the cycle. I was getting sadder God, and sadder and less and less energy. Cut down, cutting down maybe. Yeah. Like, I don't think I've got an intolerance, but a lot of this stuff is. It's right? the cure. Yeah. It was all kind of, I mean, I don't want to be like those Gwyneth Paltrow people who are like, oh, it's the cure kind of thing. But it was just like all these things suddenly made sense. And then my friend Harry, who does our jingles, Hello. said mm. to me, um, well, you know that Irish people are genetically predisposed to be celiac and gluten intolerant, right? <gasps> and I was like, excuse me? No. Right? Apparently so. Why? Well, um, so like, to, to go into what gluten is... You came I, to I pasta mean, late. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh my God, I was That's, joking. No, you're com- you're on the money, man. That's what? pretty much why. So basically, I mean, everyone knows what gluten is. Gluten is a protein. It's found in rye, barley and wheat products. And um, the kind of the clue is in the name, glue, gluten. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the kind of binding agent. Yeah. And some people can't digest it as well as others. And it's like bread and pasta, right? Bread, yeah. Essentially bread and pasta, anything with wheat in it and that kind of stuff. You can still have rice, which is good. Yeah, rice is fine. Yeah. Um, which, hooray. <laughs> <laughs> Risotto though, that's gloopy. Oh, yeah. Mm. And noodles, rice noodles. But mm. anyway, um, but so because Irish people, um, our diet was very potatoey for a long time. And also uh, the bread that we did make was soda bread, which was very low in gluten. Mm. Ah, um, yeah. And so we just kind of came to these things a little bit later. And as a result, we kind of like are genetically different. Wow. Which is, I mean, obviously I'm not happy to have to shop in the boring, expensive part of the supermarket now. But I'm kind of happy that I have a little genetic cultural thing. Well, you've like <laughs> solved a mystery. Yeah, and in a restaurant when they say like, "What are your dietary requirements?" You can be like, "I'm Irish," and you should I know. know. You should what know that. that. Totally. Um, but my main question coming to this was, um, so lots of people are celiac now. Lots of people are gluten intolerant now, and you know, it's the people are making um, exceptions for it. You see that most menus and stuff. But like, why? Why is everyone suddenly gluten free mm. after years of everyone being fine? You know, and the weird thing, I mean, I talked to a few people about it and there was like one girl I was talking to and she was like, it's the soil. I was like, what? Oh, no. And she was saying like, yeah, all the chemicals being pumped into the soil, like is changing how wheat is composed and <gasps> it's pollution. And I was getting really freaked out and I wanted to get to the end of like why suddenly there are so many cases of people being celiac or yeah. gluten intolerant because it can't just be people having notions about themselves right? yeah because to some extent no. there's there's a real kind of like idea that it's snobbery and it's kind of like oh, totally. I want to do the cool new food trend and the cool new food trend is being gluten free yeah and like it can't it can't be all that because I've seen I have seen a lot of people like you that have said like that it's helped them that they feel better for it yeah um, and I think as well there's lots of people who just like They'll eat like half a thing of sliced pan, like Warburton's white sliced pan, and they'll be like, I think I'm gluten intolerant. I feel really sick. It's like, <laughs> no, you're just you're eating a loaf. <laughs> just eating a lot of white bread. Um, there are a few big theories as to why this is happening. The first one is that um, Western society has become super overdeveloped to the point where we're not getting a lot of exposure to bacteria and parasites and different fungi that would like naturally occur in a lot of mm-hmm. our foods we've essentially become too clean yeah because like um in in less developed countries there, there's just not the there's not the same level of allergies whatsoever yeah um and part of that makes me think like oh maybe they're just not 
maybe they're dealing with bigger things kind of thing. Yeah, massively. Um, but they did a study in Australia where they essentially introduced what is called worm therapy. Ew, um, ew, ew, yeah. So essentially this? introducing sort of small parasites into um, food and, uh, oh, and okay. into flour and stuff and then giving it to people eat who... the worm. You, yeah, you're kind of eating a worm, you will, but, but you're you not, won't realise. You're not, yeah, you don't know, and that's okay. fine. Yeah, fuck it. I feel like I, I maybe I've um, helped myself not to be gluten intolerant by eating things that are probably a bit manky, a bit past their sell-by date. I think that's good. I think you've probably created in really important antibodies in your system. Um, and that's actually one of the next things is that like because of our kind of society's addiction to antibiotics, um, it's actually killed a lot of the microbes in our stomach. That could that is supposed to break down gluten. Oh no! Oh my God, so, this is a Tom Cruise film. Is it? You think everything's a Tom Cruise film? I know. <laughs> I just always think of when there's something like this, which makes total sense, but which still seems far fetched at the same time. If you know what I mean? Yeah. I always think of Tom Cruise like telling somebody and somebody going, "You're mad." Yeah. It's the microbes. <laughs> You're crazy. <laughs> You're crazy, man. And then he's like proved right and has to be like, "Well, if you just take my word on board when I said it originally, we wouldn't be in this mess." I mean, maybe we wouldn't. Yeah, we're we are sort of making ourselves very um, mm. weak and fragile yeah. by taking so much medicine. Apparently, I never take painkillers in case when the revolution comes, so I can yeah. just get high on them and die. <laughs> Not fight. <laughs> the other reason is that we, uh, the West, has tripled its amount of wheat gluten consumption in the past forty years, yeah, which wow. is a ton. We're yeah. eating so much bread. So much pasta because it's like, and I think part of that must be as well that like so many of us are eating food on the go now more than we used mm. to. There's not that, no, nobody really has that dedicated person at home who's able to make food from scratch or whatever. No. And so most of our convenience food is like stuff like sandwiches and that kind of stuff yeah. that you can buy easily. And we're, our, our wheat consumption is getting so high that our ability to break it down is getting lower. Um, and even like I was actually doing a piece today on um, meal replacement, like uh, Soylent and Huel and all those like shakes that. Mm. Oh yeah, I saw you asking about that. Yeah, yeah, it was actually you know it was weird. It was one of those things where I came into it being like this is idiotic and it's for like the kind of Silicon Valley tech bro that I hate. But actually, there's so many people who find it so hard to eat food for their dietary requirements. They're just like, oh, I'll just replace lunch with the... I won't look around um, Pret for something that's too expensive and that I won't really enjoy and that will, like, damage my stomach. I'll just have this shake instead. Mm. Yeah. Which I do kind of get, as long as you're eating normal food the rest of the time, you know. Yeah, completely. Um, Word of advice, don't ever tweet about Huel because then they will just kind of weirdly, like, follow you around the internet. Oh. It happened with me. Oh, it no. Happened to me. It happened to me. Oh, God, so are all your sponsors out of Huel now? I get lots of them, yeah. Oh, crap, I'm um, sorry. Or maybe, I don't know, it's definitely like a kind of meal replacement shake. Uh, I'm not sure if it's exactly Huel. No. Other oh, um, replacement shakes are available. <laughs> the one I keep getting is, um, you know, that, that shop Wolf and Badger? No. Oh, yeah. it's, it's a really expensive boutique, it's really beautiful clothes, none of which I can ever afford. I looked at a dress there once, and now everywhere I go on the internet, it's oh, just no. fucking there. That's not about gluten, though. <laughs> this is... Yeah. That, well, you'll look good in the dress with your new non-bloated stomach. I'll tell you, lads, I'm already feeling a bit lighter on my feet. Oh, yeah. I wasn't doing it for that. And, uh, do you miss the farting, though? I do miss the farting. <laughs> it was the one thing bonding me with you two. So. Millions of people have lost weight with personalised plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads, generally, for most people, are the easy button, right? 
For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hannah, once again, you found a piece of pop culture that you don't understand and are examining it like it's a dead worm. Uh, what's going on, you hideous troll? This week, Caroline, I've uh, been hearing a lot about something called a rom-com. Yes. Um, there seems to have been quite a lot in the in the media and the newspapers mm. about them. And um, I, for one, don't have a clue. What yeah, that it's a is. Russian term for mm. attractive white people with lots of money uh, looking at each other. For a long time. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, I actually did decide to get an expert on to educate us all about this. So, yes, please welcome to the studio uh, our very special guest, author Aisha Malik. Hello. Hello. Hi. Nice to see you. Aisha is an author of two very funny novels, Sophia Khan is Not Obliged and the sequel, The Other Half of Happiness. So, Aisha, what is a rom-com? Well, let me educate you. Mm. A rom-com is a romantic comedy and something that most people, most women, people... You can see I'm having trouble here, um, which actually I've come in defense of rom-coms because I think they get a really bad rep. And I think they get bad rep because do they set us up for um, huge disappointments or are they chicken soup for the soul? And I tend to think that they're chicken soup for the soul. And I think we should all watch more of them. Um, and I think that um, people should make more rom-coms and write more rom-coms. Yeah, I would yeah. agree. Yeah, they're definitely having like a little bit of a moment again now because for a long time, the sort of feministy clickbait media was very much like, love actually is problematic, this is problematic, pretty yeah. woman's problematic, all this kind of stuff. And um, now we're sort of creating a new batch of rom-coms on Netflix and that kind of thing. Um, to All the Boys I've Loved Before has been huge. Crazy Rich Agents has been huge. They've been great um, as well on a representation standpoint, but also they've been huge for their own reasons people just really like them um, what's your take on all of that? Um, I watched Crazy Rich Asians and I did enjoy it I, did, I didn't love it because I thought that the this is going to sound like a dissection of a romantic comedy. Um, I didn't I didn't like the two main characters just because they're a bit kind of cardboard cut out. A bit blah. Yeah, a bit yeah. blah. Mm. But I loved it for its diversity. I loved it for its aesthetic 
indulgentness. Oh, yeah. Aesthetically pleasing. Indulgent. Yes, exactly. Thank you for giving me words. <laughs> um, but also, I, I don't like the fact that rom-coms are seen as anti-feminist. I think that rom-coms can be feminist. Um, I don't know who's watching Vanity Fair, but I think that's quite a good example of how... Uh, how you can have like an anti-heroine in a romantic comedy setup. Mm. Right. So Vanity Fair, that was very much like a costume drama. Yeah. Um, yeah. And would you say that's your particular love? I love period dramas. Yes. Yes. What are love... the, what's the plot of Vanity Fair? Um, it's a, So you've got Becky Sharp, who's this anti-heroine. And it's basically about her trying to climb her way up the social ladder because she doesn't want to be poor okay. um, and it's just it's just brilliant and she's just a fantastic character she's horrible but fantastically drawn yeah so that's what's a really interesting thing about rom-coms rom-coms <laughs> rom-coms condoms <laughs> that's the really interesting thing featured in rom-coms <laughs> yeah not enough though no they never pop certainly one not on. in my books <laughs> <No>. <laughs> Um, the interesting thing about rom-coms is that while um, I think their criticizers would be very much, oh, it's just about like beautiful people falling in love, actually, you do see big social issues being tackled in them a lot. And Vanity Fair is a good example. But even like, if you think about stuff like Bridget Jones' Diary, like that, yes, it's about like a girl in the city who's in her 30s and she doesn't know, what, you know, single culture, all that stuff. But also it's very much about British culture and the Darcy's being the haves and her kind of by comparison mm. being the have-nots yeah. and it's very stratified it's very like well, there's was, a lot going on yeah it was based on Pride and Prejudice right so yeah. and Jane Austen um, was you know addressing some huge issues of her time about um, the state of marriage and how the only way for a woman to make any kind of fortune was to marry well so and and if Jane Austen was writing now I think she'd been she'd be seen to be writing romantic comedies um, and yet she's so revered just because she was ahead of her time, I think. Yeah. The weird thing about Jane Austen is that like there's this weird consumer culture around Jane Austen where it's like, Mr. Darcy, Mr. Darcy, like buy your like weird Mr. Darcy fridge magnet and your weird <laughs> Mr. Darcy tea towel. But don't you think that Bridget Jones was too good for Mr. Darcy? Yeah, kind of. He was like... kind of a pain in the ass, wasn't he? Well, he's just kind of a bit, a bit boring. Bit boring. Yeah. yeah. Like, where was his spark? So yeah. I kind of feel like she she kind of she married down. I think. Like, I would definitely have shagged what's his face, Hugh Grant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Daniel Cleaver. What's his Daniel Cleaver? That's it. What do you think about this? I think because you know he's in he was in Notting Hill and all those Richard Curtis films. I feel like rom coms peaked then, and I don't feel like there's really been another one to top all those. But ones. I wonder whether that's because people just we've kind of moved on and. Um, we don't like the idea of a woman just looking for love. Um, mm. There should be oh, more yeah. to life, right? Maybe, yeah. And I think that rom-coms haven't quite caught up in kind of diversifying women's lives yeah. and not just chasing after a man, but chasing their actual dreams. And Yeah. You want people to be a bit in all 3D now, don't we? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'd, be, I'd be really interested to know how you got into them in the first place. I think a lot of girls watch them when they're very young because yeah. of their ideas of love. But yeah. like... What has kept you, what got you into them and what has kept you going with them? Um, I think it was just the idea, the kind of idealised notion, idealised notion of love. And it was just very sweet to watch because it wasn't happening in reality. <laughs> um, and so it was kind of escapism and hopefulness. And I think I still watch it just because um, it takes me back to the days of hopefulness. And I think that they can be really clever and really smart. And I think they can tell us truths about what we want out of life. I, I think that we live in a time that's quite cynical 
and we have to want something more than just um, to fall in love. But I think that's such a huge component of being a human being. And you're allowed to be that person when you're watching a romantic comedy, whereas you're not allowed to be that person outside of the television box. Yeah, maybe. massively. Yeah. That's such an interesting concept, though, because, yeah, people like even when like, you know, your single friend or whatever tells you about a date, they they, they immediately do a thing. They're like, oh, it's not going to go anywhere. And he's probably a prick. <laughs> Sorry, Alex, I feel <laughs> like I'm making so much eye contact with you right now. Yeah. <laughs> because it's probably true. Yeah. <laughs> But it's nice that there's still like this weird cultural space for us to just like be like sweepingly romantic. But it's also nice to just have um, something that you can kind of relate to. And I think the whole point of Bridget Jones's diary was every woman, well, maybe not every woman, but most women related to just her plight. But I also think that, for example, Nora Ephron, when she wrote Heartburn mm. um, about her divorce with her husband because he cheated on her she um, made tragedy into comedy yeah um and i think that's also a really powerful way of using um rom-coms um that you can make something tragic into something funny and it almost lets us it almost helps us to embrace the tragedy in our own lives i think so speaking of like not turning tragedy into comedy but and in your books um, <laughs> what I really loved about it is that it opens on this character Sophia who is just after this terrible breakup um, and the terrible breakup is like very specific yeah. um, uh, I'd love for you to tell us a bit more about Sophia's story and okay. where it came from um, so Sophia Khan breaks up with her boyfriend and um, she works in publishing as a publicist and um, she breaks up with her boyfriend because when they get married he wants her to live with him and his parents and a hole in the wall with the two houses kind of next to each other with this hole in the wall so oh that everyone God. can just go, go in and out oh, um, right. at will. And she's horrified by this kind of social expectation for women to um, live with their in-laws just because it's just because it's what you do. Um, and she doesn't want to do that. So she um, says peace out to him. Yeah. <laughs> says, I want something better than that. Yeah. Better than a hole in the wall. And so, yeah, so she ends up then um, being miserable about it. Um, and then gets asked by an editor to write a Muslim dating book, mm-hmm. um, which throws her into the Muslim dating world. So, I mean, you worked in publishing. I did. So is there like, you know... Was there a hole there, in the wall? Yeah, was, was there, there a, a hole? Yeah. What I'm asking, is there a hole in the wall? Was there a hole in the wall? Tell there, me about the hole in the wall. There was a hole in the wall, yeah. <gasps> oh, Wow. Wow. So it is a semi-autobiographical thing. It is your Um, heartburn. I mean, well, I mean, no, because, you know, I didn't end up with like a hot Irish guy. Um, (laughs) Is that how it ends? Oh, shit. Oh, no, I missed (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I'm so excited you represented. (laughs) Oops, I could represent you really badly, by the way. Are you a hot (laughs) Irish guy? (laughs) Um, uh, Sorry. Does, uh, Um, Does Sophia go into the world of Minda? Minda, she no, because Minda didn't exist then. Oh, yeah. When I wrote it, Minda didn't exist. I'm assuming Minda is is the Muslim Muslim Tinder. Tinder, I'm very creative by the way we Muslim (laughs) people are. Um, And so yeah, there were elements that there were things that happened to me in my dating life that were just so ridiculous. A friend of mine was like, you know what, you should really put that in a book because it's so stupid that you would only (laughs) believe it in fiction. Yeah. Um, And so yeah, there was a hole in the wall. Wow. Yeah. wow. Didn't marry him, obviously. <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad. When you wrote Sophia Khan, when it was out, did you think it gave other Muslim girls a sort of like a tool to like shove at their in-laws and be like, no, um, <laughs> no hole in the wall. <laughs> no hole in the wall. Um, 
No, I mean, I don't know. I have had like, uh, I have had a lot of um, messages from Muslim girls who feel appreciative of the fact that they're represented in books. When we first met, we were on a panel together at Waterstone Tottenham Court Road. And uh, one of the things you said that I was really fascinated by was um, how when you were young, you related to things like Jane Austen. Yeah. Um, because of how constricted their yeah. social, the social construct was, the social yeah. mores is. Yeah, and I think also, I mean, having said that, Bridget Jones is one of my ultimately favourite books and favourite films, the first one anyway. Um, I didn't relate to the part where she drinks and, yeah. you know, has sex with guys before marriage because I'm an observant Muslim. And um, so... That's what I found in Austenian novels because those social mores um, and that kind of level of religious observation was is so kind of resonant for my time and my people. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so I did, yeah, I did really relate to it, and um, I recognised I recognised the marital pressures um, more acutely than I wished I I, I had to. Um, you know, having chaperones on dates. True story. Once Ooh, had that. Really? Yeah. Wow. You know, it was just, a, it was a very yeah. odd dynamic. Yeah. And I also, because um, I went, I, my sister who's five years older than me, she um, had a lot of um, suitors. Ooh. I'm using air quotes, by the way. Um, <laughs> suitors come to the house to see her for marriage purposes. And I kind of, I kind of saw like guy after guy come with his parents and just basically um, she was kind of paraded a bit like a piece of meat, mm. wow. you know, coming in, serving the tea, serving the samosas. Um, and I was just like, there is absolutely no way in hell I'm doing that. That's just not going to happen. These stuff that you just described, particularly the stuff about sort of meeting parents and um, that kind of awkwardness yeah. around that, um, reminded me a lot of a rom-com that came out recently that was very famous. Oh my God, I know what you're going to say. The Big Sick. Yeah, yes. I was going to bring that yeah. up. Yeah. Because it's the only one with a Muslim guy in it. And yeah. It, and it's the only rom-com I haven't watched. No, <laughs> no way. I loved it. I have, it's this, great. I have this really weird thing about watching myself represented in a movie and I think my main problem with it was the fact that he had to be with a white girl to for it to yeah. be acceptable yes. to but, make yeah. that film and to I, I have I have a few bugbears about it which is why I never watched it the only thing that might sway you is that it is his true personal story yeah, yeah. So, yeah. but I yeah. know what you mean I'm not disagreeing yeah. with you no no um, um, yeah and you're right that does um, and, I, and I know that but it was it was just I'm really kind of bored of seeing if there's any kind of um, Asian relationship on television or in films of it having to be a, a brown guy with a white girl. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. Master that of None Yeah, that one. makes it acceptable. Why can't we have two brown people get together on TV or on yeah. in film, you know? True. Yeah. And also the way those films tend to depict the, the Muslim girls who are the suitoresses yeah. tends to really put these Muslim girls as like second prize yeah. or yeah, silver medal. definitely in the big six. The thing is, I'm kind of guilty of that as well with the first book because, um, as you now know, Sophia ends up with this <laughs> hot, 
white Irish guy. But kind of in my defense, um, it's okay because he's Irish. Oh. And, um, Irish people have had a lot of shit in the past, so that that's their common ground because they're both, you know, referred to as terrorists. And that is nice. Yeah, Aww. isn't that sweet? <laughs> I think that was a reason we instantly got on. Um, so that, that's that's how I justify it. But at the same time, I do paint Asian men to be absolutely awful in the first book, and I was called up on it quite a few times in a lot of my reviews oh, by really? readers. Yeah, so that was that was interesting. Yeah. Do you think if the opportunity came along for you to sort of like, I don't know, have some kind of say in um, like a rom-com that did depict, you know, something that represents your life, would you would you kind of go yeah, for it and be like, yes, we're going to have an Asian girl? I'd love that. Yeah. Yeah, I would. I just think because if you if you want to talk about representation, then why do we why why does it always have to involve someone that's white, you know. Mm. Oh God, I sound like such a racist, but it's you just, really don't. <laughs> it's because it's because it just it just annoys me that that is a condition, you know, that you have to have in order to make a brown character palatable to a wider audience. No, massively. Yeah, um, right, and yeah, right. no, I'd love to see a rom com that's just two brown people. Yeah. Or I, I can't think of any rom coms with just two brown people. Well, Crazy Rich Asians. Yes, apart from, and that's yeah. what that's one of the reasons I really liked watching it, just yeah. because it was a breath of fresh air for that reason. I think I'm the same as you and I like I I technically want to see myself represented more on screen, but I actually don't and I want to be the person who does it. Yeah. <laughs> obviously. Like if you're gonna adapt my fil- book for film, great. If it's gonna be anyone else's no! I really don't wanna know. <laughs> <laughs> Joke. Not. No, I'm not joking at all. It's, it's why a, it's I haven't watched you have this, The Young Offenders or anything. It's because you have this weird kind of territorial feeling over what it is to be, I don't know, Irish or Muslim. Yeah. And any anyone else who has the opportunity to to portray that, it's like, well, are you going to do the right? Are you going to do? Are you going to do it well enough? Are you going to? Yeah. Yeah. And by well enough, I mean exactly how my life is. Because <laughs> <laughs> if it's not like my life, then I don't want to know. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you very much for coming in. This has been wonderful. Thank you so much for having me. It's now time for our smart lesson. And each week, of course, in the smart lesson, we try to bring ourselves a little bit closer to the feminist nirvana of being smart women. Mm. A rarefied concept indeed. What are we doing this week, Alex? This week we're doing transseasonal dressing, Caroline. As we all know, uh, every year around the end of August, the nights get darker, there's a brisk chill in the air, and you start eating more and more cheese on toast and drinking less rosé. Cheese on gluten-free toast. Cheese on gluten-free toast. Which, by the way, is very small. Basically, as you both know, the one thing we can't navigate, unless we are smart women, is gradually wearing more and more layers as it gets colder. Yes, I've seen a lot of uh, self-help articles about Mm. how to wear layers. Yes. Every year, Every year, (laughs) we have to have a lot of pieces about wearing tights and layers and dressing at the change of the season. Hmm. As you know, this is very difficult, guys, because you can't just put more and more layers on and oh, be warmer. You, that's you too have simple. To learn about how yeah. to do it. It's very so, hard, Lance. I know we're being cynical, but it's hard. Layering is difficult. And I'll tell you for why. Because you can't go straight to a jumper because then you're like sweating underneath it and you can't wash jumpers too often. Caroline, you have a denim jacket. Yeah. Mm. That, that's... That's it. 
That's it. That's the transition. There you go. My God. <laughs> this is so. Well, stop I just you. wear a denim jacket over my t-shirt for a bit, and Until, then I put a jumper on. Yeah, and then and then you can yeah. put the jumper under the denim jacket if yeah. you want. And then, then, then the denim goes to leather eventually. Yeah. And yeah. then leather goes to big parka thing. Yeah, exactly. And then we Winter go back coat. down to leather, and then go back down to denim, and then we lose. <laughs> yeah. And then it's like, yeah, okay. Yeah. It's and it the escalating like it's, of yeah. the denim. Yeah. And it just that goes. About you know, seconds. Yeah. Fifteen denier, twenty denier. 40 denier, 50 denier. 15 denier woman. <laughs> yeah. And back down again. And uh, your shoes also go from sandals to trainers to brogues to ankle boots to knee-high boots and back down knee again. Knee-high boots. Oh, I haven't had a pair of knee-highs in a while. And yeah. I think actually, lads, tell me what you think. This might be my year where I buy a pair of cowboy boots. Of what? Yes. Cowboy boots. Yeah. But I think you should go all the way and get get like really pointy ones. With no, spurs. I agree. No, I don't think you don't. You don't want the Zara version. You want the like proper like I went to Nashville. Yes. Yeah. Or I look like I might have. You know. <laughs> Somewhere yeah, else. Want, went like to a Nashville. Good, I want spurs. You want a boot that's seen things. Yeah. And then you can wear those as uh, the phenomenon of the weather getting colder happens, and all these women are freaking out and going to Zara and buying loads of stuff, and you just pop your winter coat back on. Nice. I just know I always look a bit like Noel Gallagher in the winter though. I'm just there with my hands behind my back with a massive fucking coat. <laughs> just never putting your hands out. Get a coat that's so big you can't actually physically put your hands behind your back in it. Yeah. yeah just one that's more constrictive and then and then you'll train yourself out of doing that. I know. I everyone wants to be the Lenny Kravitz with a big mm. scarf, yeah. Mm. God, I love putting the big scarf on. First day of the year with a big scarf. At what oh. stage does the big scarf come in? Because I think it comes in um after jumper and jacket together. Yes. I am inclined to disagree. I like to put the scarf before the jumper, as as the old saying goes. <laughs> <laughs> scarf well, before jumper, uh, well, except after. Yeah, what I like is um, my sort of general autumn winter look is leather jacket, uh, slogan t-shirt, scarf. Oh, lovely. That's oh, it. Yeah, that what, what about the bottoms? Just nude. Just nude, <laughs> just flange all the way out. Just flange and a cowboy just boot. globs of discharge flying into the winter winds. <laughs> Freezing before they hit the ground. Yeah, little icicles. <laughs> well, that went off topic, but um, I quite enjoyed it, and Got I feel like visceral uh, images for the winter. Yes. Remember, ladies, if you're cold, put more stuff on. If you're hot, take stuff off. Well, that's it for another week of quite frankly groundbreaking research by the people at Wikipedia. Thanks very much to Aisha Malik for coming in. Her books are available from all good bookshops and a bonus episode featuring our full chat with her will be available next week. Thanks also to Harry Harris for our jingles, Gavin Day for our logo and Soho Radio Studios for the recording space. If you've enjoyed this episode, please do rate, review and subscribe to it or tell your friends about it. Goodbye. Bye. Never lay a hat. <laughs> that's my last that's my last yeah, word. Fair enough. Fair enough. Never lay a hat. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more 
and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Want truly hydrated skin? Medocia's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean, vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.